Well, good morning, everybody. If you would take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. And we have complimentary uh, ESV study Bibles in front of most of you. And if you're intimidated opening a Bible and turning there, uh, I will let you know that it's page 944. Nothing like having an open Bible in front of you. But for the slackers, we'll have the verse up on the screen in, uh, in just a little bit. We've asserted uh, numerous weeks now that probably the, the most popular method of Jesus' teaching was uh, taking questions, tackling things, teaching people as he responded to their hard questions. And we're in a series, in fact, we're on our second to last one, where we've been tackling your hard questions. We've tabulated them and we've walked through questions like, are we living in the end times? Is suicide an unforgivable sin? What about those who never hear about Jesus? If God is powerful, why is there tragedy and suffering? And today we're going to look at your second most popular question that you sent in to us. And it's this question, uh, can a saved person lose their salvation. Uh, I think this, I'm guessing from some of your emails to me, I'm guessing that there's a variety of reasons that so many of you have asked this question, that you do ask this question, that you wonder about it. I think one reason is it's relational. I know one mom wrote in and as she asked me this question, it was her concern, her care for her son, her son who'd made a decision through Young Life Ministry years ago, but now there's just no evidence of walking with Christ, no participation with other believers, no desire for God. And her concern is that and that he's not raising his children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I think some of you ask for relational reasons. For many of us, I believe it's personal. We wonder, the great hymn of the faith, Lord, I'm prone to wonder, I feel it. We, we wonder, W-A-N-D-R, and so many of us wonder, W-O-N-D-R. Are we still saved? We, we had a decision. We made a dis- commitment to Christ some time ago, but, but we drift. I mean, isn't that true? I mean, have you felt that in your life? Have you gone that path where it's a jagged line? It's not a 45-degree angle up and to the right of spiritual growth. Uh, it, it's a jagged line, and sometimes you go back and, and forward. And for some of us, I think we ask this question because we wonder about our very own salvation. Am I in? I mean, you, don't you, don't you want to be in? We went to a party not long ago, and, and I realized, wow, this is kind of an exclusive party. Can I, can I get in? And then, you know, with my behavior and all, when I get in, can I stay in, right? And some of us wonder, are, are we in? Were we ever really in? And can we stay in? And for some, and I applaud you for this, for some of us, I think the question flows from biblical reasons. It, it's maybe relational, maybe personal, but certainly biblical. You've been in Scripture, and you've heard this conversation debated. Because of what I want to say to you today, this all flows. I won't get too heavy on you so as you won't fall asleep, most of you. But uh, it's, it, it's under theology, the study of God. And under that is soteriology, the study of salvation. And this has to do with what scholars call eternal security. And thus your specific question, can a saved person lose their salvation? I want to say this. I want to set this up for you. Good followers of Jesus have differing viewpoints on this. Can I just say that? Again, I won't get too heavy on you, but there's classical Calvinism. There's moderate Calvinism. There's moderate Arminianism. 
And there's Wesleyan Arminianism. There's basically four viewpoints on this. And all, I believe all people uh, love Jesus. I believe they, they're looking at the scriptures. And there can be some confusion in the scriptures as to what the Bible teaches. I want to share with you what I believe the Bible teaches today on can a saved person lose their salvation. You may not agree with me. You may not fully agree with me. Can I say that you'll still be in heaven? You'll be living in a van down by the river, but you'll be, we'll both be in heaven uh, together. I believe the question, I believe it's rooted in curiosity. I believe it's uh, maybe rooted in uh, insecurity to some extent and rooted in fear. Look with me at Romans chapter 8. Verses 14 to 17, page 944, if you've opened up a study Bible in front of you. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into, circle this word, back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now you read that and don't you, 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 you want to be in, don't you? I mean, if we're, if, we're, if, if we're children of God, if we're heirs, if we're co-heirs with Christ, if we have this inheritance laid up for us, I mean, you, you want to you be in. But that word fear, I think, can strike in our hearts because what is exactly what is he saying here? And I, I believe there's several kinds of fears in life. I'm just going to speak generally here. Okay, I had you circle that word fear in Romans 8. But just to speak generally to you, I think there's a lot of different kinds of fears. Uh, one kind of fear is what I call a fun fear. And you know what I mean. Don't, I, mean I know there are different levels of what you're willing to tolerate when it comes to fear. But what I'm talking about are roller coasters, scary movies, skydiving, that type of thing. Susan and I enjoy, we don't get to travel as much as we used to, but when we do and we have the opportunity to stay in a hotel, you know, we enjoy darkness, a very dark hotel room because we get the hotel room really, really dark when it's time to go to bed. When our day is done and our heads hit the pillow, it's time. We want it very, very dark. And I, I've done this thing now uh, somewhat recently where I'll leave a light on away from the bed on purpose. And so Susan will, when she, when she turns off that lamp next to her or the TV, she'll say to me, oh, there's a light on. And I will say, oh, I'll, I'll get it. And I get up and I go turn the light off but I don't come back to bed. Robert, 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 I know, I know you're in here. Robert, are you in that? Robert? And it's protest, it, it, it resorts to kicking and screaming, right? And that's what I call, what I call fun fear. She calls it her husband, a pastor, acting like a 12-year-old. But look, no doubt there's, there's fun fear. Jeff Hightower and I were in Atlanta for a couple of days. We drove past a roller coaster, several roller coasters. Hey, would you want to do that? We had a discussion of, do you like heights? Do you like roller coasters? I mean, there's fun fear and there's good fear. A good fear, parents, grandparents, we like a good kind of fear because a good fear, when little Johnny Cash Garner here gets old enough, he can run from that burning ring of fire. He'll notice and he'll, he'll, take, um, he'll take cover. A, a good kind of fear gets your adrenaline going and it shows that there could be some impending danger. It's a, a discernment kind of fear. Anybody creeped out by the guy in the ice cream truck? 
I mean, I, don't, I want to believe more. I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. You know I do. I want to believe in the dignity of mankind, but I'm just kind of creeped out. I don't want my children around an ice cream truck, right? When, when they were little bitty, we were on the Jersey Shore on vacation, and my little kid said, hey, Daddy, what's that? And I said, oh, that's the vegetable truck, son. <laughs> ice cream truck guys just freak me out. I don't know. But there's a good kind of fear, and I, as a parent, I guess I've gone a little far in instilling the good kind of fear in my kids. There's a fun fear, there's a good fear, there's a bad fear. And the bad fear is one of the most common commands in the Bible. Do not fear, I will be with you. Do not be afraid, I am there. Psalm 37, 4, do not fret. Matthew 6, Jesus, don't worry about tomorrow. Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything. Don't be afraid, but what do we do? We have so many fears, if I can be honest, right? We, we fret and we're anxious and we worry and we're afraid. And there's a, a fear that can be a dangerous kind of fear. And here, it's a fear that it paralyzes us. It petrifies us. It restricts us. It robs us of what God wants to have for us. And can I say, jump into 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. I want you this morning to hear the beloved apostle John say this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Marsha, I wish your husband Larry Johnson was here today. He wrote a, a, a book, a mini book, brought it to me a couple of years ago, and his heartbeat was this very passage here. I want people to know, and I'm with Larry, I believe God wants you in the middle of your fears and the way your life is riddled with things that restrict, rob, petrify, and paralyze you. God wants you and I, in Jesus, to have security, assurance, and confidence. So this morning, in the limited time that I have on Mother's Day, I want to do two things. I want to share with you three reasons I believe you, in Christ, can live with security, assurance, and confidence. I want to give you three. And then I want to take the question, can saved people lose their salvation? And I want to ask you what I think is a more important question. Okay, let's do that. Here's the first thing. The reason I believe that if you're in Christ, I believe this. Let me say this. If you're his, he keeps you. He will keep you. And the first reason biblically I want to give you is this idea that the Spirit seals you. The Holy Spirit seals you. You ever closed on a deal? And what do you say? Man, we sealed the deal. We, we had to do that. Fondren Church had to do that with Woodland Hills. Isn't this great to have a partnership with two churches that in many ways are alike, and in many ways are vastly different, but we share space and God is uniting our churches and that's all fine and good, right? Under the name of Jesus. But it was also good to bring in some lawyers, right? And to have their deacons and our elders sit around a table and say, here's a deal. And guess what? It's signed, sealed, and delivered. Fondren Church has a permanent home. I love it when a deal Get sealed. And here, look at this passage in Ephesians 4, I'm sorry, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him, in, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit, who is the, circle this, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Man, it's, it's guaranteed. How many of you have a bank account? Just raise your hand so you won't fall asleep. Let's stay lively this morning. How many of you have a bank account? How many of you wish you had 10 times more money in that bank account, right? When you go into your bank, I guess nobody goes into a bank anymore, but there's a sign that says FDIC. What is that? Who can tell me? Federal Department of Insurance. 
Okay, let's pray for that man in his pride right there. <laughs> because he thinks he's better than me. And by the way, he works at a bank, okay? So that's nothing, bro. Thank you, Ray Wright. I love you. FDIC, and it stands for what he says, but there's a deal here that they guarantee you. Now, I know, here's what I do know in my study and research, that whether you have a checking account, a savings account, certificate of deposits, money market account, whatever it is, up to about $250,000, be quiet, up to about $250,000, the bank guarantees you, right? That's why when my account gets over two fifty, dollars I throw it around to places like Swiss uh, and the Caymans and stuff like that. That's just me, but anyway. Um, but it's guaranteed, right? Don't you, if you have money in the bank, don't you want it guaranteed? In fact, apparently, the banks do a fairly good job of this. Our, our sum of money has been in Bank Plus for a number of years. And we had money stolen from us. A guy swiped a card. I blame her. But a guy swiped a card, and he was like driving to New Mexico and charging hotel rooms and uh, what else? Uh, Napa Auto Parts and all kind of stuff on our money. But Bank Plus was so good to help us get our money back. But we even have an expression, guys use this a lot, when something is guaranteed, we'll say, man, that's money in the bank. You can take it to the bank. And that's what God is saying to every believer in Christ. Look what it says, in him, when you heard the word of truth and the gospel and you believed, not if you worked or you strived or you did all this stuff, but if you heard and you believed. Isn't that good news? To hear with openness and receptivity. To hear it and then to receive it, to believe in it. And God says something really great has, happens when that, and the Holy Spirit seals it. The Son, that's the first reason, I'm sorry, the Spirit seals and the Son secures. In Romans chapter 3, or I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8, if you'll look down, if you have an open Bible or just look at the screen. Remember Romans 8 starts off this way. There is therefore no more condemnation. No more condemnation. And Paul, brilliant theologian, comes back to it at the, sort of the end of the chapter of chapter 8. In verse 34, he says, what? Who is to condemn? There's no more condemnation. But you know what we do? You know what we do? We condemn. We condemn. We condemn each other with our short tempers and our anger, our prejudging. We condemn and we condemn ourselves in our heads. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. I would want you to circle that phrase, who is at the right hand of God. If you're a note taker, I'm going to go quick here, but Ephesians 1.20 says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Mark 16.19 says Christ Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Colossians 3.1 says Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Now, why? Why does it say seated? In the Old Testament, an age that I'm glad I don't live in, there were sacrifices. It'd be cool to be in the temple to have the Ark of the Covenant. It'd be cool the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. But it, it was filled with gold and valuables and things to, to raise people's awareness of the sovereignty and goodness and holiness of God. And in the priest, uh, we won't get deep into this, but in the priest there were, I'm sorry, in the temple, the tabernacle, there were priest. And what would the priest do? They had a couple of roles. I'm keeping it simple. They had a couple of roles. Number one is they would be an intermediary between God and men and women. And they would offer sacrifices. How often? Continually. And the priest never sat down. You know, there were no chairs in the Old Testament time temple. No chairs. 
they stayed up. You, you ever had a job? Maybe you got one now. I'm sorry, but you, you know, you come home and you gripe to someone. You say, man, I was on my feet all day. We don't like that, right? To be up and to be working like that. And the contrast the scripture gives us, it's a beautiful picture of back in the day, they were on their feet and they were offering sacrifices continually for the people's sin. Sin, confess, sacrifice. Sin, confess, sacrifice. But look, look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 to 14. And every priest stands daily at his service. By the way, they had shifts of priests coming in. It was so wearisome. These priests uh, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can what? Never take away sins. It was merely a precursor. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. God, there's going to be a day when every wrong is made right. And you and I, James 4, 12 tells us there's only one lawgiver and one judge. Christian, be careful. You don't know everything about God and the end of time. You do not know his ways. His ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your ways. But there will be a day when every wrong is made right and justice is complete and Jesus will reign supreme. For by, verse 14, a single offering, he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. We're sealed by the Spirit. We're secured by the Son. And lastly, the third reason I'll give you is the Father holds you. John 10, 29, a beautiful passage of Scripture where Jesus is clear on his deity. There were curiosity seekers. There were those who were already committing to him. There were religious people who were becoming opposed to him. And he says, I and the Father, we are one. And here's what he says. My Father, who has given them to me, those who believe, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. If you are his, he will keep you. The Spirit seals. The Son secures. And the Father now I'll say this, we, we need a keeper. These little ones, they're going to need a keeper, right? We, we all need it. The parents, they need a keeper. We're very interested in keeping, right? We want to keep the faith and keep the peace and keep up the good work. And we want to keep the dream alive. We want to keep the lights on. We want to keep on trucking and keep on going. Uh, we want to keep up with the Joneses, or is it the Kardashians? Uh, I'm not sure, but I know that we all want to keep calm and carry on. We just want to keep, don't we? It's really important to keep. And you know, above anything, we want you, the people that we know and love, we want, we want people to keep their word, to keep their promises. In fact, we can't keep our wits and our sanity unless people keep their word and their promises. When I give you something, if it's a secret, I tell you, you know what? I want you to keep it. If I give you my heart, invest in you relationally in love, I want you to keep that. There's a beautiful passage of scripture. Psalm 121. It says, uh, before we put the passage, oh, go ahead. Uh, now take it down. Put it up. Take it down. Um, Psalm 121 is a, is a psalm of ascent. And it's a beautiful passage that some of you have heard, this beautiful prayer that says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. 
This guy had some real danger in his life, and the hills represented not just beauty like we would see it, but it represented danger. Those hills he would have to cross. Those hills represented wild beasts and enemies and things that he didn't know. Our enemies are different. But he said, I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? Oh, my help comes from the Lord. And I think when the psalmist penned the words, the maker of heaven and earth, he was saying the maker of the hills. And what does he say? Look at this. Now you're being mean to me, yeah. Um, the Lord is what? Your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will what? He will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. You, God is the keeper. You are the keep e. Many years ago, we lived in a neighborhood called Hidden Hills. And Susan left the house to go hang out with some friends. Mom needed some friend time, some me time. And she said, hey, we only have one here, our youngest, um, Wesley. Robert, would you keep him? And I kept him for the most part. We took a nap. And it was one of those things. We have a saying in our house. We were snuggling. We say the snuggle is real. And we were having a snuggle is real moment on the couch. Me and a little bitty guy right there. We fell asleep. And I woke up and he wasn't there. He wasn't on the couch. He wasn't in the living room or the kitchen. He wasn't in his room. He was nowhere in the house. He wasn't in the backyard or the front yard or the garage or the driveway. He wasn't at the neighbor's house. He wasn't at that neighbor's house. And I was legitimately panic stricken. And about 10 minutes later, that seemed like a terror of eternity. It never happened before and never again. Man, I found him. He and two buddies were in a house that was being constructed. I think the first time he heard me run and panic, he hid because he had a little bit of guilt. But man, when I, when I came to that little Wesley, man, I put my arms around him and I said, I'm so grateful that you're alive. I'm so grateful that you're okay. I'm so grateful that you're tiny and you won't remember this and tell mom. I'm just so, I'm so grateful that I'll share this as a, in a large crowd years from now in a room where like maybe in a sermon where it's safe to talk about it, right? I'm just so glad. I, sometimes I'm not a good keeper. I want to be. I want to keep my word and keep my promises. The extent that I do that, I'll be a good husband and a father and a pastor and a friend. The extent that I don't. I'll fail you, but God will not fail you. You are the keepy, and the Lord is the keeper. If you are his, he will keep you. Philippians 1.6, I think I quote it almost every time we do a baptism. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I've talked about the keeper, the finisher. The same keeper is a finisher. Have you started a project that you did not finish? Did you sign up for a gym membership back in January and you showed up and you worked the treadmill and everybody around you knew that you had not treadmilled in a long time and you wore tight clothing and you shouldn't have. <laughs> that clothing was from back in 2004. And you, were, you had gusto, you were excited, you had a resolution. But by May, Mother's Day, you hadn't really finished, have you? Because in December, their memberships at clubs are filled with people who started, but they faded before they finished. And God is saying, 
in us, the, the spirit that seals us, the son that secures us, the father who holds us, the keeper, the keeper of our lives, the keeper of, of evil, ultimate evil away from us, the one who keeps us in our coming and our going, this father is the finisher. And he will finish the work that he, you and I may not be good finishers. You may have home improvement projects around the house that have been waiting for a long time. I know I do. But God is a finisher. I've given you three reasons I believe that if you are in Christ, he will keep you. I want to close with a more important question, I believe, than the question, can a saved person lose their salvation? And it's this. Have you been saved? If you are his, he will keep you. What I'd like to ask you this morning, are you his? Three quick questions. If your salvation has never really changed you, has it ever saved you? 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. There's something about really belonging from the beginning. I told you at the outset, that's why there are some believers, followers of Jesus, even scholars, who have different opinions on the question I'm tackling in front of you today. Can a saved person lose their salvation? Second, second idea, has there been any indication of fruit in your life? When Jesus talked about faith, he talked about fruit, transformation, change. A dynamic reality that we, that just of tasting and seeing, encountering and experiencing where you experience the goodness of God and you're never the same. The Bible says a lot about fruit in Matthew chapter 7, a great chapter to read on this, on this question. But in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 16, Jesus teaches us about the importance of fruit. And he says, you will recognize them by their fruit. In John chapter 15, in verse 6, he says, I've chose you and I've appointed you to go and bear fruit. In John 15, 8, he says that in this, the father, my father, your father is glorified that you would bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Proverbs 24, verse 28 to 30, a beautiful Hebrew account of the fruitful life or lack thereof. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered, I looked and I received instruction. In the ancient Middle East, to have a parcel of land, to have a piece of property that could become a vineyard, that could grow crops, that could produce fruit, it was a oh so high valuable thing to have and he's walking by and he's saying I'm observing this thing and it's not uh, I mean this this vineyard could be a source of income for its owner it could be great pride it could be beautiful and bountiful and a blessing to all but it is not growing a thing there is no fruit and what was the reason it wasn't famine or fire or earthquake it was none of that it wasn't drought none of that no floods it was neglect it was neglect. In Psalm chapter 1, it says, Blessed is the person who doesn't stand 
and doesn't stand with scoffers, doesn't walk in that way with sinners, doesn't sit in the seat of scorners. But he, this man, this woman, meditates day and night, and he or she will be like, what, a tree by the rivers of water. You see, to bear fruit, we don't have to try to bear fruit. We need to abide by the river. We need to abide, and that's what Jesus taught in John 15. So this morning, I don't want somebody who's not in Christ to have false assurance. I want everybody who is in Christ to have complete security and confidence that he will keep you. But he keeps you if you are his. You know, the Bible starts with a river and ends with a river. In other words, God wants your life to flourish, to be fruitful. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 10, it says this. We don't know much about a Garden of Eden, but what we do know is a river flowed through it. Look at this. A river watering the garden flowed through Eden, Genesis 2.10. Revelation 22 says these powerful words. And the leaves of the tree, I love this, are for the healing of the nations. God desires our lives to bear fruit for personal success. Probably about a third of the books in your Christian bookstore miss the mark. And the fruit of your life and the fruit of mine, the fr- our collective fruit, is to be for the healing of the nations, for sex trafficking in Cambodia and locally, for children in Africa, for, for the children at Matamoros in Mexico, for the kids of Red Door in West Fondren, for all of us behind our, even our gated communities with our opulence and our wealth, but with our loneliness and our sins separating us from a God who loves us. For the healing of the nations. God says in Revelation, every tongue, every tribe, every nation. Now your life and mine should bear fruit. The third thing, question for you, is: are you saved? Is have you obeyed the first thing Jesus asked you to do? What's the first thing Jesus asked a believer to do? Do you know? Shame on me. I'm, I'm going to say shame on me as a pastor if a lot of you don't know. He asked you to be baptized. When Jesus appeared in public ministry, he was baptized in the River Jordan. When Jesus gave his disciples the last words, he said, go and make disciples, teaching them to observe all things, baptizing them. When the church got started at Pentecost, oh, what a day, 3,000 believed, and they were what? What'd they do? They were baptized. In Acts chapter 8, when a guy, um, when when an Ethiopian eunuch meets a guy named Philip, he received the word, and he believed, and he was baptized. In Acts chapter 10, when Peter went up on a roof to sing some James Taylor songs, God intersected in his life and said, hey, I'm going to teach you a lesson that you weren't expecting. It's about how big the gospel is, and if you think the gospel is just going to stay right here in the Middle East, in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, I've got plans for you. The gospel's bigger than this, and it's for everybody. And Peter, you may have some racism in your heart. You don't realize how good this message is. And somebody uh, named Cornelius believed, and his family believed. And guess what happened? Cornelius was baptized, and his family was baptized. There are nine other accounts in the book of Acts, the first church, the early church, when people believed. And what did they do? What was the first thing that they do? They were baptized. You may be on staff. You may be an elder. You may be a deacon or small group leader. You may be a believer of 40-something years, and you've never been baptized. 1 John 5, 3, it's not a verse on baptism, but it talks about God's commandments. And it says that the commands of God, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. I want to say in an uplifting way, man, we would love to have the honor to come around you 
and to baptize you. To, to allow you to be obedient to what Jesus said. And when you come forward and tell your story, we get to celebrate as a church in our jacuzzi for Jesus right here. And I've asked Jeff Hightower and them, if we have it in the budget, to consider getting a GoPro camera with a long selfie stick. And we can, when we baptize again, we can roll out that selfie stick and take pictures of an old selfie being baptized, buried, and a new selfie coming up out of the water. And we can take that picture, maybe have some GoPro cameras in the water, right, to get every vantage point. And we can clap and try to splash water on you and celebrate new life in Jesus. If you are his, he will keep you. If you want to talk later about the four different viewpoints and you want to discuss a problematic passage for this in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, man, I'm ready for it. I would like nothing more. But I believe that the scripture teaches us that if you're in him, he will keep you. The spirit seals you. The son secures you. And the father holds you. Let's pray. Gary, give us a couple of announcements before we go, and then we're going to close by praying for Daniel and Carly. Hey, really, the, the most important thing for you, if you've been uh, visiting here for months or even longer than that, or you're here for the first time today, and you want to find out more about this church, kind of uh, what God's called us to do, next Sunday at 9.15, you have an opportunity to attend our prologue class. We, we generally do this about every couple of months. This will be our first time we do it in the morning. We generally do it at night, but we've heard you speak. So we'll be doing that next Sunday morning upstairs in our prologue room. We'd love to, uh, for you to do that. Go on our website, register for that. Let us know you're coming. You can find out anything you'd want to know about our church.